Hi, welcome to our study of patterns found in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, which is about mocking. Mocking means to make fun of, ridicule, scoff, by copying or imitating. Mocking kills love. In chapter 13, we saw that apathy kills faith. In chapter 14, uh, hypocrisy kills hope. It's mocking that kills love. And in this chapter, that's what they do to Jesus. We see it when he's in, on trial before Pilate, before the guards in the praetorium, and at the cross, everyone's mocking him. Interesting thing about this chapter is we have three correct responses, the centurion, the women, and Joseph of Arimathea. And what I believe that God is trying to do here is to teach us Christians how to deal with the mocking via the example of Jesus, how he accomplished it. So what Jesus is going to teach us here is when you're being mocked as a Christian, when the world's against you, point number one, accept it. Point number two, do not react to it. And point number three, suffer through it. Because when you retreat the mocking in, in this form and fashion, then people will respond on a positive. And that's what Jesus sets up for us as an example to follow. Point number one, accept it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33 to 34, Jesus says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into. He knew what to ex expect. So when he's standing on trial before Pilate, what's Pilate saying to him? Are you the king of the Jews? And I believe you've really got to understand, king of the Jews is a mocking. Um, he's looking down at him in derision. And so Jesus answers him simply by saying, you say. Right? I'm not going to address this. That's all I'm going to say. You say. You're calling me the king of the Jews. You know? Learn to accept it. He's not going to argue against Pilate. He's not going to try to explain his way out of this. Then the priests, when, when Pilate has his opportunity to release a prisoner, he brings Barabbas out, who's a murderer. And then he says to them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Mockery comes because somebody is jealous, so they're going to try to put you down publicly with great shame. So that puts them up. That's one of the main sources of mockery is jealousy. And these priests, what do they do? They stir up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. We don't want this king of the Jews. We want this murderer instead. Then finally, in this little section here, the people call for Jesus to be crucified. What greater mockery? Because listen to Pilate. He says, what, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus is totally innocent, but the people are going to have nothing to do with it. They continue to mock him. This is a really interesting statement. You can spit on a rose, but it's still a rose. Let them do what they want to do to you. You're still a child of God. Learn to accept the mocking. Point number two, do not react to it. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Don't react to the mocking. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. 
When did they do this? After Pilate had him publicly scourged. Jesus is scourged, and now they're going to take him back in for more torture. Why? I believe it's about jealousy as far as the guards are concerned. Because, you see, the scourging didn't break the man. He didn't cry out. He didn't beg for mercy. He took the scourging without responding to it. He was silent, is what Jesus was. They couldn't break him. But these big guys, they're going to take him to the back room, and they're going to mock him, and they're going to beat him, and they're going to break this Jewish man. So they take him into the back room, dress him up as a king, purple robe, crown of thorns, reed in his hand, and then they start by acclaiming him again, hail, king of the Jews. They're not going to let this thing go. Beat, beating his head with the reed, because as you beat his head with the reed, the crown of thorns, and you got to understand those thorns are like two inches long. They're driving those thorns into his skull. Other gospels will, will say they took turns driving him in the head with their fist, spitting on him, kneeling and bowing before him. As they continue with their mockery, they're trying to break him trying to get him to say something to them, but Jesus doesn't. He doesn't react to it. A lion does not flinch at laughter from a hyena. And that's the thing that Jesus is trying to teach us here. Understand who you are and do not respond. Do not react to this. And then finally, suffer right through it. In, in chapter 9, verse 31, again, talking about what's going to happen to him, he says, he was teaching disciples, telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Focusing on the joy set before him, that is the resurrection, Jesus endured the cross. That's what's recorded in Hebrews. Despising the shame and suffering through it. You've got to go through it. There's no getting around it. You can't run away from it. So suffer through it. Here's the guards. They tried to jug, drug him when they took him up through to the cross with wine and myrrh. Wine and myrrh is a drug that will make him delusional. It will take care of the pain. But he's not in control with what he's saying and what he's thinking. And Jesus refuses any of this wine mixed with myrrh. Because he's going to go through this and suffer through it with his mind straight. Then they stripped him and gambled for his clothes. Now, you need to understand, why did they gamble for his clothes? Because the Romans were superstitious. They believed the power of a man was in his clothes. Kind of like Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, when he's taking up, throws, out, throws down his mantle and Elisha catches it takes it down to the Jordan River, hits the Jordan River, the Jordan River parts. So we see there's a power in that mantle, the power in the clothes, and he's got double the power that Elijah had. These, these Romans, they're thinking, you know, they're superstitious. They want to hang on to this, which shows you the kind of respect that they had for Jesus, this, this, this Jewish man, which these big guys, they could not touch, they could not break. And watching him die on the cross, they had total respect for him. And that's why they're gambling for his clothes. But you've got to suffer through these things. And then they continue with the mocking because they nail above him the sign, King of the Jews. 
king of the Jews. Mark 15 is all about the mocking of Christ because now we see the people walking by throwing abuse by saying, save yourself, come down from the cross and save yourself. The priests to themselves were saying the very same things. And then the robbers, one on his right, one on his left, are both insulting Jesus as he's hanging there from the cross. And what's he doing? He's being quiet. He's being absolutely silent. He's suffering through this thing. And then God steps in and silences the mocking. God's had enough, and he's going to put a full stop to it. When? When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the land, whole land until the ninth hour. At high noon, God turns the sun off. The historians record the stars came out. It was so dark. At high noon, there wasn't a storm cloud because the stars came out. It was God turning the dimmer switch down. And when that happened, they thought it was the end of the world. They were just absolutely silent for three hours. They just sat there, understanding that this had to be the Son of God. And then it's at the end of the ninth hour that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, did God for, truly forsaken Christ? No. What you need to see is that Jesus became sin. And when he became sin, to die for our sins, that it's not that God turns his back and looks away, but it's that sin that creates a wall between us and God. And that's what he's saying in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand's not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull it cannot hear, but your inequities have made a separation between you and, and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is the thing I believe that Jesus was in such torment in the Garden of Gethsemane concerning. And that is when he died, he had to die outside of the presence of God. Not that God forsaken him, but it's because the sin that he had to take on, the sin of the world, put that wall there so he dies all alone to himself. A death that we do not have to experience because it's through the blood of Christ we can have our sins forgiven and God will not forsake us. Remember the lotus flower. Even though it rises from, the, from beneath the mud in a swamp, it does not allow the dirt that surrounds it to affect its growth or its beauty. Do not let the mockery bother you, get to you. Learn to suffer through it. Because when you suffer through it, that's when you see responses. It's in your death that people are watching to see what kind of Christian you are. Did you make it to the end? Or did you curse God in the end like Job's wife says for him to do, curse God and die? The centurion says, by the way he breathed his last, truly this man was the son of God. He watched him all the way from the trial, through the scourging, through the beating in the praetorium, through the crucifixion for six hours upon the cross. And this man had total composure he was just, he set the example that he needed to set and got the response that he was hoping to get from the centurion. The women, they continued to watch. They had supported him all through his ministry, and they stayed with it until they saw where he was buried. Correct response. And then Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the council. For him to go and ask for the body, to bury the body, was for him to quit his job. Because he would get fired, he would get mocked. And he'd be thrown out of uh, the synagogue. But that didn't bother him. Why? Because he saw how the Lord died. What's Mark 15 all about? It's about mocking. 
And it's saying, if you're going to be a Christian, guaranteed, you're going to get mocked at some time or other. And when that happens, follow the example of Christ. Accept it. Don't react to it. Suffer through it. And when you do, you're planting seed in the lives of those who are there that are present. And hopefully, there will be some correct responses. You may not see what your suffering does, but it can plant seeds in the hearts of other people. They're watching all the time. Mockery kills love. Don't be caught doing it. Thank you.